filibuster, filibuster freestyle, filibuster, filibuster. Watch out for the filibuster. Filibuster. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back in the freestyle. It's go time. Filibuster freestyle. All right, ladies and gentlemen, back on the filibuster freestyle. Very excited. It is the week before the Super Bowl. Therefore, a and maybe we can even get into this with our first guest. A very drab NHL All-Star game, and then a very, I don't even give a crap, NFL Pro Bowler happening today. We are going to talk in a little bit with our racket and lawn sports expert, Andy Maslin, about the unbelievable Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Australian Open Final. Uh, Before we do that, we are going to do two things, because not only was today... uh, Federer versus Nadal, and not only am I going to talk to Andrew Patterson about a, a, a few UFC matches from last night, but we're also looking at what the beginning of the week was a little bit of Marty Walsh, mayor of Boston, versus Donald Trump, which has now turned into Donald Trump versus the Arab world or the Muslim world. And uh, the man who is very patiently waiting to be our first guest, Andrew Patterson is back. How are you, my friend? Life is a mystery. <laughs> He's that's, coming. A, that's how I'm doing these days. You are coming hot with some Madonna, and yeah. I am not going to say I am anything. I'm waiting for you. What I think you should probably start every podcast now with these days, and I'll tell you my basic mind state um, with what could po- quite possibly be the last filibuster freestyle ever, because I just feel like. What has happened in two weeks with Donald J. Trump as president only seems to be expediting things like that. So, uh, and by two weeks, you mean literally eight days, and that's like literally a week and a day. But you know what? Yeah. Alternative facts. Eight days is now two weeks. Okay. Really quickly, before we go, go down what, what I think our conservative listeners might call a liberal wormhole, we're going to do our best to not do that. Mm-hmm. One more guest, Dan O'Brien, our good friend from Philadelphia. He actually has worked with refugees. It was like his job for a while in Philadelphia when like literally dudes from Iraq would come over after being tortured by, you know, what were basically what became ISIS type type guys. And Dan worked with them for the better part of two years. So that would be the tail end of the podcast tonight is Dan O'Brien with some like real life stories about really decent human beings who got to come over here seeking asylum and build great lives for themselves and their families. So we're just going to hit you, not with like outlandish theories, but with actual stories of our good friend Dan doing good work. The reality of what this does. Exactly. But before we... And and Dan O'Brien is a good man because he was also in the Peace Corps. He was in the Peace Corps as well. He was. He is is a man who knows what he is talking about and um, has the experience and is not just going to be a... uh, spouting liberal with, uh, you know. Correct. Basically, he's not going to be me. He's not going to be me shouting angry words at to a camera with no foundation for them. I'm I'm brimming with anger. Yeah. Um, if you have ever seen the Paul Rudd, Jennifer Aniston Wanderlust movie. I have. There is a scene where um, Ken, and I can't remember his last name, Shakes because he is so angry. Just his arms pumping up and down. He can't. Ken Marino. Ken Marino. That is how I have spent the last eight days. So in my own house. Yeah, there was a UFC fight last night. There is a bland NHL game going on. There is a Pro Bowl that I have never watched in my life, and I am watching an ABC television show called To Tell the Truth because I thought it might get me away. From the reality that has become our country these last eight days. But, Kevin, how are you? 
I'm doing great, Andrew. I'm really excited. You are smacking around your iPhone, and it's really a great time. Let's speak about smacking around each other, and, and really, let's the professionals do it. UFC Fight yes. Night was last night on Fox, and I'm just going to pick it up where I where I saw it, which I don't know if it was the first fight on TV or not, but Mississippi Mean, a.k.a. Jason the Kid Knight, uh, was the first yeah. match that I saw. He submitted a dude called, last name was Caceres. I did not see the beginning of that fight. Um, my hot take before you get into your hot take on this fight was that Jason Knight has like a paragraph of tattooed written words on each rib cage. Do you have any yeah. idea what those tattooed paragraphs say underneath his armpits? Uh, I am not that familiar with Jason Knight. Um, and that's not, there's a few other guys in the UFC who have quite a bit of text, uh, written on them. I know, I, I know a bit more about, uh, Caceres, a.k.a. Bruce Leroy, which is his, honestly, name. name. Great name. Yeah. Um, so I was, eh, you know, I thought Caceres would pull it off. I think he's fighting for a lot. He could be out of the UFC soon enough. Um, you know, decent fight. I will tell you, overall, assessment of card, every time... They put a card on Fox, on the national network Fox. They always put together cards that are going to have finishes. So I would say to like the person, average person who doesn't watch a lot of UFC, yep. um, it's a great way to get into it because it's free and um, there's going to be knockouts. Right, which is nice. I mean, a lot of the matches did not go the distance last night. In fact, I think none of them did that I saw. Uh, I did not yeah. watch the prelims. Really quickly, um, I saw the promos for... Holly Holm, who was the woman who, who was the first woman to ever defeat Ronda Rousey during this two-match losing streak. Um, and she's fighting a lady named Germaine de Rondame. Um, it was the inaugural featherweight championship match. Um, so is that basically Holly Holm is known. She's clearly not going to win the belt in the, in the division that she upset Rousey and she got her butt Smoked by Misha Tate, who got her butt. Smoked by Nunez. Yeah. So are they just putting a name in a division that I would imagine is a, le- a weight class lower to hopefully gain some attention for this woman, uh, Deronda May? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I think that's fine. It's now the third. Is that going to be? That's going to be the, the third, third women's weight class. class? Yeah. For women. Um, and I don't mean this in like a misogynistic way. I just mean this in a, there's so many UFC weight classes yes. kind of way. Yes. I don't really know a lot. And I've said this before on the podcast. I don't know a ton about the women's divisions. Okay. So that's what it sounds like to me. Holm is going to be a known quantity. Right. And if she wins, um, great. And if she doesn't win, she helps get this lady over. Right. Okay. Exactly. Let me ask you this because they had pictures of Holly Holm kind of you know, on the uh, the octagon ring posts, if you will, they kind of advertise upcoming pay per views. It makes a lot of sense. Do yeah. you feel like she looks a tad like a jacked former figure skating Olympian, the infamous Tanya Harding? And I don't mean Tanya Harding now. I mean like 1992 Tanya Harding, but a jacked version of that. Or has that ever crossed your mind I at could, all? I could see that, but Holly Holm is tall. So well, I'm saying facially, and obviously from a, from a body structure standpoint. Figure skaters don't tend to be as ripped as, or as jacked as mixed martial arts right. fighters. And so I, I will be honest. Um, I, I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to say you're wrong on it, but I've never really paid that much attention to it. Well, here we go. To the filibuster freestyle fans and, and to those who hopefully at least dabble in the UFC like I do, um, tweet me at Gavin Viano. Tweet the show, which you are the now the, the CEO of our Twitter handle, at FB yeah. underscore freestyle. Let us know if you agree or disagree. Maybe you could do a poll, actually, of this. Agree Absolutely. Or, and, um, ag- agree or disagree yeah. if Holly Holm looks a little bit like 1992 Tanya Harding, or is, 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 am I crazy? 
Yeah. Um, and your content management team at the Twitter handle will handle it. Um, Perfect. I don't know if you did pay attention, but the very first tweet that the filibuster freestyle made with its new manager, a.k.a. me, got into a fight with a uh, right-wing Trump supporter, and completely accidentally. I didn't even mean to. No, it was great. You were just kind of like having fun with Kellyanne Conway and, and the, the, the hashtag alternative facts. And I forget yeah. what the lady said, but you got more heat uh, in one tweet with the filibuster freestyle, that's at FB underscore freestyle handle, than I have in like 2,000 tweets with my own name attached to it. Amazing. Yeah, it was, and it was like instantaneous. It was within a minute, and I thought... This is either going to go great for the filibuster freestyle, or this is going to go absolutely awfully for Gavin Viano and myself. But um, I'm just glad that it's not on my actual handle. Had I given you like control of my actual name handle, I would be in bigger trouble. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Speaking of bigger trouble, let's go back to this fight real quick. It's a heavyweight fight. No, I thought you were going to say let's go back to Donald Trump's presidency. No, we're going to we're going to get to that, and then you know my hope is that. Andy Maslin is a bit more moderate than we, if, if not a little bit conservative, but not not, not psycho-conservative. Uh, yeah. He may give at least a little bit of balance to the conversations because, again, I can't see Dan O'Brien lending any credibility to balance, and I, I'm not going to really help at all. No. Aside from that, I'm using my real name, and I'm the host. That's the only, like, I don't know, I guess yield sign on the highway of just smashing politics right now. But yes. speaking of smashing faces again, I like what I'm, I like how I keep trying to get back with smashing and bad people, and it's like it's such a nice segue from politics to, to cage fighting. Um, absolutely, you, absolutely. You correctly prognosticated that though the heavyweight division has been a bit of a snoozer the last couple of years in the UFC, that this gentleman Francis Nuganu could be worth watching. So Francis Ngannou was 9-1 coming in. He fought this dude, Andre Arlovsky, who was 25-14. A lot of fights under his belt. Yep. Um, and a former champ of the division. Former champ, okay. And, and I, I learned that Francis Ngannou is seven years the, young, the junior and has a six-inch reach advantage, which he used fairly quickly. He won the match uh, yeah. in 92 seconds on what was kind of like, I don't want to say an accidental punch, but everybody was basically being like, the dude didn't even get full force on it, and he stunned that dude. The other dude. Francis Nagano is a bad, bad man. Yeah. He is a, um, and as I said to you last night, uh, if I get back into the heavyweight division, I've been down on the heavyweight division for, uh, for a while now. If yeah. I get back into it, Nagano is my ticket. Um, yeah, he was he, bad. At, he's bad. Bad he man, like hit. you said. Uh, he, he can hit. Uh, that is not a fist you would want your face to meet. Now, let me ask you this, because, you know, Michael Buffer... Obviously, he does an unbelievable – sorry, Bruce Buffer. Bruce Buffer yeah. does an unbelievable job getting people psyched up for these UFC matches. And his brother, Michael Buffer, who we know from boxing matches, actually was the ring, the quote-unquote ring announcer for the Kentucky-Kansas men's basketball game yesterday. They actually flew him in to wow. announce the game, right? So I'm thinking of – I saw both these brothers you know, hyping up crowds respectively yesterday afternoon. And I'm wondering yeah. this, and you can actually you – know, you can give an answer on this or we can do another Facebook poll. I don't care. But do we think Michael and Bruce Buffer's parents are outspoken and their dinner, their dinner conversations when they were growing up were literally just like ring announce contests? Or are they like two mute people who basically just gave their two sons carte blanche and be like, give me some meat and potatoes! Yeah! Macaroni and cheese. I feel like I feel like one. If I have kids, that's how I'm going to serve dinner to them <laughs> every time. 
Two, I, I like how there's only those extremes because it can only be one of those extremes. There's no way they're just middle of the road people. No. Absolutely not. No. And three, I will forever admire the work that one Bruce Buffer does. If you can remember from a few years ago, a Memorial Day weekend, where I tried to hype the crowd up for a little thing called the Grape Gobble. The Grape Gobble. And <laughs> did my Bruce Buffer style entry only to dump an entire bowl of grapes onto the ground and got nobody psyched up. Yeah, yeah, and really quickly, just, just to give everybody a sense, so the Grape Gobble is literally like human hungry, hungry hippos with grapes. And yeah. what you in theory want to do is dump a bunch of grapes on a flat surface and then let what would be mainly inebriated people try to gobble as many grapes as they can for like a prize or something, right? What we didn't realize was that our flat surface was on a bit of an incline. And so therefore the grapes, which are round, rolled very quickly past all the drunken mouths that were trying to eat them and again landed on the ground. But you did hype up the beginning and there is some type of like a gorilla video out there somewhere. I'm not sure if anybody still has it, but phenomenal in terms of how intense you were, phenomenal in terms of how many grapes there were and how many people were excited to eat them, and really yeah. depressing how quickly all the grapes fell on the ground. Yes, yeah. It- I, I forgot about that. But yeah. I really do like the idea of being like, Michael and Bruce, do you want pizza or Chinese food for takeout? Oh, I love I love all of it. Bruce Buffers, it's time. It's time to do your homework. <laughs> so, you know, there's probably a reason why you and I don't have children, but if either one of us yeah. do, then we're both going to parent that way, and that's fantastic. I, I, I was just going to say um, our children would absolutely hate us. If there were any theoretical Andrew Patterson children right now, it is clear I would torture that kid and um, end up causing quite a lot of... Uh, Emotional scarring. Yeah, yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, if my kids like me as kids, they're going to hate me as teenagers, and that's a fact. Speaking of fun right. facts, another fun fact, uh, apparently the UFC debuted in Denver, Colorado, back in the 90s. I had no idea. That's awesome. Just like yeah, I, I, they were kind of back not, home last night. Okay. I mean, are we talking, we're talking UFC 1 when they, like, it was like sumo wrestling. Eye gouging and like figure, skating, figure skaters with karate chops and all that. Yeah. yeah. I made that last part up. But anyway, it was everything yeah. was legal, street legal. Um, all right, let's go to Donald Cowboy Cerrone in a welterweight match versus Jorge Masvidal. Uh, looks like Masvidal's record is 31-11 and 11 all time. That's a ton of action, first of all. He bites a ton. Yeah. So does Cerrone. Okay. And the crowd, you know, again, I'm much less, more of an untrained observer. The crowd kind of hates Masvidal, but I realize it's because Cerrone's like from, from Colorado, right? From Denver. Yeah, I was going to say, it's that the crowd loves... Cerrone. And Cerrone is probably, for a lot of uh, UFC, one of their most popular uh, guys. Yeah, okay. For people who watch UFC regularly, uh, whether or not you're from around there, he's he's got a big cult following. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, in fact, he was just on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia this past week. How about that? See, I'm behind on this season because I don't have FXX right now. Yeah. i got to figure that out. But we're... You know, that's good to know. So he's well-known. Problem with that is he was kind of cursed by what always happens in the MMA, which is once people actually know who you are, you usually get your block knocked off. And he almost didn't make it out of round one. He was getting worked and got literally Zach Morris saved by the bell. And uh, then he got ruined by Masvidal in round two in his hometown. 
So, so one of the things about Cerrone that that was always watching fun watching him fight is uh, he can take a punch too, and he can throw. Yeah. So I mean, he has wars. So it was not you know weird seeing Cowboy in that situation, um, or in, in in just like taking punches and getting getting out of the bell. He can do that and then come back and like beat you the next round. Right. Exactly. All right. So let's go to the main event, which I feel like, and again. No misogyny at all. It's actually the opposite, I think. But a lot of the headliners on these Fox Network UFC matches, in my again, in my limited, limited knowledge and memory of this, I feel yeah. like the headliners tend to be women. Is that like a fair assessment, or am I am I just making stuff up? Um, I think you're just making stuff up. But I mean, like, there's there's a few. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, I think the last time I think the last time they had it like in Chicago or somewhere. That was women headliners as well. I just don't remember if that was a pay-per-view or, or on FS1 or on Fox. I forget. Yeah. Um, but anyway. The last Chicago and the one where CM Punk fought. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that, was a, that was a pay-per-view. Okay, got it. No, wait. Well, anyway, I, we're not good radio, but I feel like the woman who's like from around there recently fought and like redeemed herself, and she was the headliner. Uh, maybe it was up in Milwaukee. I'm, whatever. Great radio. Again, well, like, like I said, I great said, radio. Like, as much as I know, as, as much as I know about the, the like you know certain aspects of USA, I, I know very little of the women. Okay, got it. So speaking of your area of non-expertise, the final, yeah. the headliner was Valentina Shevchenko versus Yuliana Pena, whose nickname is the Venezuelan Vixen, which I'm saying is better than the lady whose nickname is the Karate Hottie. What do you think? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, Venezuelan Vixen, great nickname. Also, Pena. The Venezuelan Vixen came out to "Let's Go Crazy" by Prince, and my notes say I like this lady already. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, she's um, because you know what's always bothered me about the women. The only woman I can ever remember uh, her fight, Misha Tate, would always come out to um, uh, Katy Perry song and sing along with it. Like fireworks or what? No, uh, tiger. What's the one? If she was like a tiger. Or, uh, I am a tiger. Yeah. yeah um. You're going to yeah. hear me roar, that one. Yes, that song. And okay. she would sing along, and I always thought that was like, it just, there wasn't anything tough about it, you know? Yeah, that's, well, you know, it's, I guess it's kind of meta to come out to Katy Perry singing it and then try to beat some ladies up. That's kind of all right. Yeah. Uh, all right, so the bottom line is, and I, I've said this maybe before in the pod, but, you know, Shevchenko, I've seen her before. She can bring it. Um, she's got a sick tattoo game. She has some like, serious, like, I mean, she's got, like, a, a gun tattoo on one part of her abdomen. She's got some other crazy stuff coming, like, underneath, like, where her, like, yeah. you know, shirt kind of ends. She's not afraid to get some, like, I don't want to call them prison tats, but she's she's a, she's a rough rider, if you know what I mean. Well, well, Gavin, let's call a spade a spade. You and I usually don't hang out with people who have gun tattoos. This is fair. Not, not, not a crowd we, we, we run with. We don't run with them not, a lot. Don't say bad things about that crowd. Just we, we're not exposed to it very Yeah, much. I don't see it a lot. So, anyway... Another fun fact about Shevchenko is that she made her mixed martial arts professional debut at 15 years old. I know she's from like Eastern Europe slash a Russian Republic, but a former Soviet Republic, but 15 years old professional mixed martial arts fighting? Dude, that is hardcore. Well, have you, 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 it's very hardcore. It's very hardcore, but uh, Habib Nurmagomedov, he um, put out a video of him fighting a bear. I saw that. Uh, his, when he was a kid, his dad trained him by fighting bears. I mean, those Eastern European people do not mess around. Right. They, you know, fighting humans is a lot easier when you grow up fighting bears. <laughs> He's yeah. a bear. He will literally rip your face off. For 
right. To use Brian Fantana, a.k.a. our buddy Paul Rudd. Second Paul Rudd reference to the podcast, and we're only one-third in. Um, yeah. All right, so Shevchenko, yeah. bottom line, uh, she gave her an arm. Kind of like Pena was working her the whole second round, and then she kind of – Shevchenko worked some kind of crazy arm bar thing and, and won it. Uh, those submissions come quickly. Do you think the best the best lady won? Yes. Okay. I do. Uh, I, I, on that fight, yeah. Uh, so the Chinko, she's um, she she knows her craft. It just looked like you know what I mean. For, if she had her first fight at fifteen, um, she looks like a woman who's been fighting for a while and knows what she's doing in there. Okay, gotcha. All right, man. Listen, here's what I'm gonna do. We've got a lot. I've got a lot of hot takes, which maybe aren't that hot. Some are lukewarm uh, on just Trump's first eight days in office, especially as they relate to um, civil liberties and paying for walls and things like that. Okay. Yeah. I'm only going to hit you with a couple in interest of time, um, but I'm going to hit you with a couple that I think you could hopefully be the best one to talk about with. Okay. Absolutely. I I can bring it. Okay. So let's just go back in the time machine to before Friday when Trump signed the executive order to ban, you know, People from seven different countries in the Middle East and Africa, yeah. North Africa. Okay. So I want to say like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday-ish, maybe it was Sunday. So much has happened in the first eight days. Like you said, it feels like two weeks already. Mayor of Boston, Marty Walsh, is essentially, you know, rightfully so, picking a fight and standing up to Donald Trump on what is him trying to force municipal police officers to act as ICE agents and trying to deport illegal immigrants. Right. Okay. You happen to live in the Boston area. You work in a town that abuts Boston. You're a lifelong resident. We've joked on the pod before that a big trip for you is to go to like Rhode Island or New Hampshire. You don't leave the Commonwealth of Massachusetts much. So let me, first of all, hit me up with your feelings on what Marty Walsh is doing. And and just, again, prior to everything that's happened this weekend, just what's going on with the Sanctuary City thing in your mind and in your experience? Yeah. So, you know, uh, Walsh did a lot to to win me over in in doing that. Yeah. Um, I've never been like a huge Walsh guy. I didn't dislike the guy, but I've never been like, oh, Marty Walsh is great. Um, yeah. And that really, uh, I was proud to have him, you know, because the mayor of Boston, you, you, you grew up here. You might yeah. as well be mayor of all the surrounding Yeah, communities. you're the mayor of like Eastern Massachusetts. Yeah. Or at least Eastern Massachusetts views you that way. Correct. It's a big job. Yeah. Um very proud that he was that he was the mayor of Boston doing that and doing it so publicly. Um, and I don't know if you saw on Twitter this afternoon, but you know, big protests at Copley Square. Yep. And uh, I retweeted it. My favorite tweet of this was, um, you know, a picture of the crowd, and it said, "When you and your buddies have been trying, or like when you, you when you and your your friends have been using um, Islamic fears." you know, to support fascism and saying Boston. And then Boston's just like, nope. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which, frankly, you actually led me into what are going to be a couple hot takes and a couple lukewarm takes I want your your takes on. Okay, Absolutely. Okay, number one, going back to this whole sanctuary city piece, my thesis is that Boston started the original Tea Party and that Boston might end the current re- Republican faction known as the Tea Party. Um, yeah. And here's why. And I know there are some Republicans in Massachusetts, and I, again, I get it. But I'm talking about what we're going, what we're doing with the sanctuary city thing, and just how un-American it is. Um, you know, if Repo- uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, 
if Republicans are all about states' rights and local government and smaller governments having autonomy, then forcing a federal law or executive order upon a city or state is just antith- antithetical to what they do. But antithetical, excuse me. Yeah. But here are the lukewarm takes because everybody in Boston already knows this. People in Boston don't enjoy outsiders telling them what to do. See the original Boston Tea Party. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Lukewarm take number two. People in Boston are willing to essentially, historically, die before bending their knee to an outside oppressor. Like, people in Boston are basically Arya Stark from Game of Thrones. They're making a list. They're going to kill you. Yes. Especially if you yeah. tell them what to do and take away things that they hold dear. Lukewarm uh, take... Go ahead, yeah. There's someone you could ask about all of this who would verify all of this to be true. His name is Roger Goodell. Hey, commissioner look, of the look, NFL. Look at how Boston reacted to him. Mm-hmm. And him telling their star, you know, our quarterback, oh, accusing him of cheating, accusing him of doing something wrong, yeah. and accusing him of breaking the rules. And using and, alternative facts, by the way. Yeah, and the entire region yeah, just went up in arms and stayed angry for a year and a half. Two years. Two years, yeah, two stayed years angry, now. Stayed irate for two years, are still irate to this day if you bring up Deflategate. Right. And so now you have this guy, this president come in from New York of all places, who then thinks he's going to turn around and tell the people of Boston what they're doing wrong and what he's going to do better and how he's going to make sure they follow the rules. How's that going to I know you can't swear on the podcast. Do it. But good effing luck. <laughs> Exactly. Let's see how that goes over, President Trump. Exactly, exactly. And that brings me to lukewarm take number three, that two of the biggest middle fingers in American history are kind of the U.S. Revolution, Paul Revere's ride, all that. In fact, um, March 17th is a holiday in the city of Boston. I know it's actually St. Patrick's Day for everybody else, but it's actually evacuation by the British Day. It's the day when the British actually were like, yeah. you know what, this ain't worth it. We are leaving. And that's how, and again, I get that it's our president, and by our president, I mean the guy who got elected by the Electoral College, but the king was our king of Britain. You know what? So I'm just saying. Um, Think of this. Who gets Patriots Day off? Like, two states, Massachusetts and Wisconsin. Right, right. Um, And I don't even know why it was... I don't know why Wisconsin does either. Wisconsin just wants to ride on our tailbacks. Uh, the town I teach in, the biggest celebration all year is Flag Day. Right, 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 exactly. Like, Massachusetts might be liberal, but Massachusetts knows that America happened because of us. Right. And we will celebrate it as we goddamn please. Right, spoken like a true mess. A mass hole, if you will. And that's my yeah. other and that brings up my my other middle finger, and you brought up Patriots Day. The response to the marathon bombing, and Marky Mark, I know, just did a movie uh, in which he plays composite characters and some guys that we actually know, guys who we went to college, like Evan Burroughs, uh, Boston police officers, other guys, guys I haven't seen in like 15 years, I'm not gonna name them on the podcast, but who are Boston cops. Plenty of our friends, family members who ran in that race and who either right after they'd finished or before they got a chance to finish the marathon to jabrones, to use the nicest word possible, uh, ruined the day. And and I remember my cousin who has three children and his wife had run and finished before the bombing literally said, and this is a microcosm of all of it, 
uh, yeah, we're going to be there next year. We're going to be sitting at the finish line. Like that's the yeah. mentality, the mentality. And I, you know, people listen to Bill Simmons and I know that his audience is slightly larger than the freestyle at this point. Um, he chronicles it all the time, which is just don't tell us how to do our thing. And if you mess with us, we're going to find yeah. a way to get through it and we're going to come back better than ever. And again, like if Marty Walsh is in and I agree with you, I'm not, I was not a big Marty Walsh guy, uh, for, for, for no other reason than I haven't lived in Boston in a while, and why would I be? I mean, I, I you know, but the fact that he's standing up to this, you know, end of the day, like you don't you don't want our you don't want a state like Massachusetts and essentially the people who live in Eastern Massachusetts all mad at you because the grudge will be held forever. Yeah, well, I will tell you, um, we are good at being mean. Yeah. We are good at being nasty. And um, we're proud of it. Like, yeah, it's kind of our thing. It's 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 our thing. Um, I know my sister tells this story a lot of how she knew she was back home in Boston. She lives down in D.C. now. Yeah. But she came back um, and she went to the Fenway with my to, with my father for a Red Sox game. Sure. The guy in front of them orders a hot dog, and um, the guy sends down a mustard packet, and the guy says, "Oh, do you have any chopped onions?" And the vendor who's taken, you know, who's sells, works for Fenway Park and feels comfortable doing this, looks at the guy and goes, yeah, I came in two hours early and chopped up a bunch of onions and then stuffed them in these relish packets just in case you wanted some. <laughs> it's about right. It's about yeah, right. That, right. So, I mean, like, you're welcome to come in and, like, for us, an outside thing is asking for chopped onions on your hot dog. Right. So... The president of the United States is not going to come in here and tell us how to treat our citizens. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so, especially especially going back to my original point, when all these Republicans, especially during the Obama administration, continue to harp on states' rights, states' rights, municipal rights, local government, local government. Well, that's yeah. the local government telling the president, GFY, friends. And if you don't know what GFY stands for, you can GFY and go look it up, okay? Uh, all right, brother. Listen, stick around for a minute. I'm going to get us out on that because... Um, you know, I want to get in Andy Mazz and I want to get in Dan O'Brien, but thank you for kicking us off in what can only, I can only say is a very spirited way, my friend. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And hit us up on, hit Andrew up, run in the filibuster freestyle Twitter account at FB underscore freestyle. Look for some fun polls this week. I feel like Andrew will do the listen back, do a couple polls. Yeah. Do me a favor, fans, friends, enemies, whatever, vote, not just for like yeah. your elected officials, but vote in our, our filibuster freestyle Polls. That'll be practice for voting in the next local elections. All right, Andrew, stick around. Thanks for being on. We'll catch you soon, buddy. Absolutely. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, up next, as promised, our lawn sport and racket sport expert. You've seen, you've heard him do a bunch of other stuff because tennis season's been over for a while. But Andy Maslin is back because the Australian Open started this morning at 3 a.m. And I don't know if you saw the tape delay or because you have an infant, you just got up and watched it. But either way, you were there covering it for us. How are you, buddy? What's going on? Well, you're right. I was there covering for us. I actually tricked you. I was in Australia. I oh, you were in Melbourne? Damn. It flew back. Did oh. you take the filibuster freestyle jet? I did. I did. And the uh, crack research camp uh, staff came with me. Yeah, because they have their pilot's license, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I always hire guys and gals with pirates, pilot's license, you know? Pirate's license, for too. That could work, too. Yeah, we, well, if you're a pilot and a pirate, it doesn't matter. You can fly anything. Yes. <laughs> it's like Han Solo and Chewie, Millennium Falcon. They're basically space pirates. Yeah. But they're lovable and they save the empire, they save the uh, rebellion. Um, 
So okay, so did you watch it live, really, or did you? I don't mean live in, in Australia. <laughs> I, I watched. I watched the replay. The replay at like nine o'clock this morning, like with every regular human being did in America. Yeah. Okay. Um, first of all, just for those of you who don't watch a lot of tennis, uh, Rafael Nadal, thirty years old, hasn't been in a major final in at least two or three years. Uh, Roger Federer. 35 years old. He's been runner-up a couple times in the last few years, but has not won a major since Wimbledon 2012. The, they hadn't played each other in a major in like four to five, six years. Uh, they have an unbelievable rivalry. This was like a crazy thing to happen in 2017, and that kind of gets everybody to speed. So any hot takes yeah, coming into it, Andy? Yeah, it was It was actually it was, it was great. You know, like some of the, the better players in the tournament lost early. Yep. So n- neither Nadal or Federer had to beat them to get to the finals. Uh, overall, it was just awesome. Like you said, uh, especially Federer since 2012 uh, hasn't, hasn't won a, a, a major or Grand Slam event. Um, and, and it wasn't just like sometimes, you know, a couple of the older guys get into the finals and, you know, the level of tennis isn't there. It was electric. Mm-hmm. I mean, the yeah. atmosphere is electric. The play was a high level. It was, it was, it was, it was great to watch. Absolutely. Well, so let me, I'm going to hit you with a couple of facts, not for you. I know you know, but for the, for the listeners. Um, so Nadal versus Federer, I believe this was the ninth Grand Slam final they have contested against each other. Nadal... Holds a six to two record head to head in Slam finals. Federer coming into the day had seventeen major championships, most all time for a man. Uh, Nadal's at fourteen, tied with Pete Sampras for second all time. So a huge match. The resale value apparently of StubHub slash SeatGeek, unofficial sponsor of the week, secondary ticket market twenty six grand Australian dollars, which is at least like twenty grand American. Um, the Australian Open officials opened Margaret Court Arena for extra people who wanted to watch the match in a tennis stadium next to the actual tennis stadium that was happening. They got like 20,000 people in there apparently or 15,000 in there watching it on TV. Federer won an epic five-setter, 6-4, 3-6, 6-1, He's now got 18 major titles. He's up four on Nadal. He's up six on Djokovic, Novak Djokovic, who's kind of been their third like real foil, which we'll get into in a bit. But Joker's a guy who has a chance to win a couple more. Correct. In fact, Joker is probably the biggest reason. A couple other guys too, but that that Federer and Nadal have have only gotten as far as the semis or the runner-up spot, probably for the last four or five years. Um. All right. A couple questions. Um. And I guess let's go with that. Do you think Nadal and or Djokovic can catch or surpass Federer's eighteenth? I think Djokovic, Djokovic can. Um, I don't think Nadal can. I mean, but Nadal has that weird. Nadal does have the ability to win on clay every year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how much longer can you do it? You figure he's thirty now. Federer's thirty-five. I think I saw the fact today that somebody over the age of thirty-five hadn't won a Grand Slam event since one guy did it like three years in a row yep. like 35 36 and 30 yeah i have that guy so just really quickly a little sojourn because that's that is why you're the expert on lawn sports my friend and tennis and racket sports uh the guy's name is ken rosewall and he won a major when he was 35 at 36 and 37 years old in the early 70s so federer is the fourth oldest guy to do it because rosewall did it three times as he got older and older but he won eight majors, Rosewall, back in the day. Not too shabby. Props to that guy. But to your point, Federer winning at 35, especially at any time since you and I have been born, never been done before. 
Yeah, so so like there's a chance that Dal can Nadal can win on clay another one or two times. Maybe Four's he'd a lot. have to he'd have to pull out another Grand Slam. Besides French, besides French Open, somewhere else. Uh, Joker has a real shot, um, but I also think there, there's going to be an up and comer somewhere. Tradition tennis tells us traditionally that once these guys are done where they're at now, there's going to be a you know an 18 to 21 year old phenom that just makes some noise and then is all of a sudden dominant and is dominant for you know eight years. Uh, I don't know who that guy is. But that guy's going to be on the scene sooner or later. Correct. Um, so I, 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 I actually hope that um, Federer walks away from the game. I hope he retires on top. I think it would just be an awesome move. Uh, drop, drop the racket and walk away. Um, wow. Nadal, Nadal, Nadal's definitely going to play more. But uh, I, I think I don't even think you'll see Federer make the uh, semifinals of a Grand Slam again in his career. Really? You don't think even at Wimbledon? No. I, I, I think he caught lightning in a bottle here in and, and things fell right. He didn't really have to play anyone going through the bracket. Yeah, I mean, he played some good players, but to your point, nobody... There's like four guys, including Nadal, who has specialized in, in, in beating Federer lately. And actually, he did he did have to beat two of them. One is Stan Wawrinka, and one is Nadal. But he avoided Andy Murray, and he avoided uh, Joe, no, Novak Djokovic, like we said. And he avoided a couple other guys who were bad matchups, like uh, uh, Joe Willie Sonia, or whatever, yeah. Sanga. Um Couple other dudes who just have his number a little bit. Uh, you know, he a lot of those guys lost, like you said, which isn't his fault. Um, all right, so little really quickly, and you brought this up. Well, two things. One, how happy was Nike the last two days of tennis? They had a three and a half hour Nike commercial today with Federer playing Nadal, and then yesterday they basically had another two hour or less. Commercial was Serena playing Venus Williams, and Serena winning her twenty third major of all time, which makes her stand alone over Steffi Graf with the most women's titles of all time. And they got so lucky because if it wasn't Federer, uh, if it wasn't Federer Nadal and it wasn't this epic match, no one would have tuned in for the replay. No way. Um, but because it was and then word gets out how good the match was, people say, oh, I'll watch it. <laughs> Let me, yeah, totally. I mean, I, you know what really stinks though? And this is a joke that, we all make in our lives all the time, which is it's really tough to, in this day and age, not know the result of something. So, you know, I went to bed at about midnight last night. I woke up at about eight o'clock this morning and I'm like, all right, I'm not going to like not watch TV, but I'm going to go on my guide. I'm going to see what time the replay starts at. And then I'm just going to watch something else. And at nine o'clock, when I find out that the re-air is going to be on, I'm going to watch it and hope that I don't know, know the outcome. Problem was, I'm watching the Millwall Watford FA Cup, and I see breaking news, and I'm like, "This is probably going to be the Australian Open." Don't look, and I, it's like a car crash. I couldn't not look, and I saw it. And but, but to your point, I saw it was a five setter, and I'm like, "Still, I got to watch this thing." And I basically watched the whole thing. It was great. And the the thing is too, like I, some people will be like, "Oh, just DVR the game, watch it when you get home." I can't do that. I'm too involved in social media. I'm too... Right. I, I need to know. Right. Um, but then the other thing is, watching a game when you know the result completely changes the way you watch it. It does. You can't, like, pretend. You can't be like... No. You're like, no. The, you know The what certainty happens. of the outcome takes... Like you said, it doesn't take... Well, it takes something out of it, but more importantly, it, it makes the experience completely different, which is... So, for instance... You see that Federer won the fifth set 6-3, and, and you would think from seeing it that he was in control 
in the fifth set. He was actually down three to one and then never lost the game again. Now, if I had watched that, you know, live when it was happening, I mean, that would have been nerve wracking. This is a fan to be like, how's this going to end? But I was just like, man, this guy's about to play unbelievable tennis if he wins the next five games in a row, you know? And, he, and the, the only thing you had to look at is, is Federer going to play that well or is Nadal gag all over himself? Correct. And honestly, it was still great tennis. Yeah. It really was. Um, all right, let's have a couple things. Do you feel – this is my feeling. I feel like Johnny McEnroe loves himself some Nadal and is a huge homer for him. What do you think about that? Oh, no doubt about it. He, he is. He yeah. tried to call the match like five times in that fifth set. For Nadal, and then he just kept being wrong. Yeah. Oh well. well th- th- you know, after seeing that, Nadal will come back and do this. Oh well, Nadal will do this. Did nothing. Right. And he finally had to be like he he out, Federer out Nadal Nadal, and he's the greatest. But he also definitely threw in there. But the extra day of rest at a five setter for Nadal really pl- took his toll in that fifth set. It's like totally agree. That's life. That's real. But like. Federer's 35 years old coming off major knee surgery and hasn't played a tournament in six months. That takes its yeah. toll, too. Yeah. But Johnny Mac, I love you, buddy. You were great in uh, Big Daddy or Mr. Jeeves or whatever you are in, Mr. Jeeves. But, you know, you're a homer for Nadal, and that's cool. I don't think he even apologizes and, for that. And He's, just let it be said, if Johnny Mac wants to defend himself, he is welcome on the freestyle. Johnny Mac or Patrick Mac or, like, your third brother, Ringo, whatever, come on the freestyle. <laughs> uh, let me ask you this. Speaking of brothers and sisters— Venus played Serena in the final. Serena, sorry, Venus is like 36 years old. Um, hasn't won a major in like 10 years. Hasn't played for a major final in, in at least five years. She's had some autoimmune disease, which she's got to manage and fight back from. Serena's 35, but no one really seems to care because all she does is win, 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 or come in second all the time. But did you watch any of that match? you think that was pretty cool to watch the sisters go at it one last time maybe in the final? Uh, I I believe in the Trump administration, we no longer uh, have women's sports on TV, so. <laughs> okay, so I guess you didn't watch it. No, I, 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 honestly, I didn't watch it. I wish I had because I really do enjoy watching them play. And yeah. there, too, I don't think they'll be – they'll never be two tennis players like them um, again. It's just, they're just such an anomaly. It's, it's, they're amazing. Right, to be the second best player in the world today and be the second best sister in your family at the same time, like that's crazy, right? Yeah. Um, how about okay? But question for you: What do you think is a more like? They're both amazing. They're both amazing stats, right? But so Serena's won twenty three Grand Slams since nineteen ninety nine, most ever. Her nearest competitor, which is her sister Venus, and then Justine Ennin, have won seven in that time. Okay, Sharapova's won five. Kim Cloisters has won four. Okay, so the other top five people besides Serena are like 16 weight majors behind her or more, okay? Is that more impressive, or is the Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, who have respectively won 18, 14, and 12, uh, with like only Murray and Warinka winning three each, basically, is the three guys being better than everybody else more impressive, or is like, like Serena being better than everybody else by herself more impressive? Serena, everyone, uh, just, just that much better. I mean... It, it's almost like it, it, it's almost weird. It's almost to the point where it's so impressive that you don't even notice it. You it's know, true. It's, it's you true. Know, it's like, oh yeah, she won. Good. You know what's crazy though is that you know she was going. She's won the Serena Slam twice, which is to capture four slams in a row, but not in the same calendar year, right? She was going for during her second Serena Slam. If she won the U.S. Open again, she would actually have won five in a row and then had a calendar slam which no one's done since Steffi Graf back, I think, in 88. 
But what was crazy is Serena was pretty was pretty pissed off after she lost that match. You know, and people are like, well, she's a sore loser. Well, I would hope so. The woman has won more than anybody else for a longer period than anybody else. You don't do that unless you're like a psychopathic competitor who happens to also be really talented and work hard, right? So like yeah. you're going to be a bad loser because you love to win. Uh, especially when they get mad at like the racket slamming or just kind of like storming off the does board that. or whatever. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I, I get pissed when I lose a monopoly. Yeah. yeah. And like you're, 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 um, your career is not defined by your monopoly loss. Like she's going for something that no one's done besides Steffi Graf. She's chasing Steffi Graf. You got darn right. I'm smacking a racket. And to do it again, it's, and to do it again, it's going to take a full year of top flight competition in winning. Right. Might want to let out a little bit of like, um, you know, anger. Yeah. A little bit of being chagrined in the moment in front of 20,000 people live and like millions on TV. Yeah. Tough moment. Tough moment. Um, all right, Maz. I had a little bit of fun with the men, the, the kind of, you know, they, they call Andy Murray part of this big four lately. And I think really what it is, is you've got Federer and, and Nadal have had their injury issues and getting a bit older, especially Federer. Murray's had some success, especially against Djokovic. Um, Djokovic has unquestionably been very successful. So I tried to, I want a couple of fun facts and I want to assign them uh, NFL teams. Not in this year's playoffs, just in general. I want your takes on those, okay? All right, so Djokovic, 12 majors, nine runners up in finals of majors, 29 years old, which is interesting because Nadal has 14 titles, seven runners up, but he's only a year older. He's only 30 years old. He's 30 years old. So Djokovic definitely came to prominence more than a year after. Like, yes. Nadal was on the scene yeah. at least three or four years earlier. A little bit of a late bloomer. Yeah, I agreed, agreed. But he's made up a lot of ground, obviously. Federer, we know about 18 titles, 10 runners up. You know, man, I mean, he, he won five majors in 03, 04, 05, which is prior to Nadal having a coming out party of his own in 06. So a bit of like a three-year head start professionally in terms of majors. Andy Murray, three titles, eight runners up, 29 years old. So literally about the same age as Djokovic and Nadal. And then Stan Wawrinka, who's countryman of Federer's, three major titles, no runners up, also 31 years old. And he's the, he's the one guy who's had the, the quote-unquote most success against the big in, in the big four era, okay? Um, so if I had to label these guys as football, NFL football franchises since 2000, here's what I got for you. Andy, Andy Murray is the Steelers, okay? When the others don't have their A game, he's most likely to step up and win. Okay, I'm going to assign Andy Murray as the Packers. Mm, okay. For the simple thing is, for some reason, people remember, and, and I'm a big Aaron Rodgers fan, I think, at any, a few times over the past couple of years, I've had him in my number one spot as the, quarter, as the best quarterback in the league. Yes. But I think everyone remembers that one Super Bowl run he went on where the Packers were um, – you know, awesome for that, like the second half of that season and the playoffs. Yes. And other than that, they've been like above average. Correct. You know, and I, so that's why like Andy Murray getting thrown in this big four, that's why he's the Packers. Okay, perfect. Okay. Um, Stan Wawrinka. Uh, I've got him just because I, I brought him up as the Giants, which is when he puts it all together, he's unbeatable, but that doesn't happen very often. Yeah, exactly. Hey, if he, yeah, I, I completely agree with that one. Nice. Okay. Um, all right, I'll go with Djokovic next. I got Djokovic 
and I had trouble with him, but I went with the Colts slash Broncos under Peyton Manning, which is so you basically made him Peyton Manning. Yeah, most talent around, you know, kind of the most versatility, most talent. Some people give him way too much credit. Some people give him way too little credit. He's not quite a choker like Manning has been, but like I feel like prolifically, like he has the most firepower, and I think people are like, for Manning, it's past tense. He could have won more, and with Djokovic, like you said earlier, he probably will win more. Yeah, I'm gonna give Djokovic. I'm gonna make him the Seahawks. Okay, that's. I was trying to find the Seahawks, and that's because the Seahawks yeah. should win more. Should win more than they do too. They, they should win. They're 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 hard hitting defense. Kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> a little strange. Yeah, a nice. little, little off. Okay. Yep, I like it. I like it. All right. I, I kind of all right. I went with Nadal as the Ravens. Okay. And it's a little bit of a slap in the face to Nadal because he's better than the Ravens. But, one, the Ravens have the best head-to-head matchup against other teams. They've made Manny look bad. They've made Brady look bad. They have no fear of either of them. And, again, Djokovic is a lot – sorry, Nadal is a lot more, especially on clay, a lot more comes through, comes through in the clutch more than the Ravens. But when the Ravens, like, amazing defense. When they win, it's amazing defense. And, and Nadal is one of the best defensive tennis players of all time. You know what? I think I, I think we bo- we both missed it. I actually think Nadal should be the Seahawks. Nice. Yes. 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 Because yes. because I like what that. do the Seahawks do? They can only win on one surface. Their home they field. Can, they can let, they can win with the twelves. Right. And he can so, win. And he wins a lot on clay. Right. That's great. Like, you know, I'm doing this off the top here. No, you're doing I, great. You're doing great. You're really engaging in this. I like in it. My head. He, he, he can win on clay. They can win at home. Yeah. And it's an unfair advantage, which which then transcends a bit to everybody else. Like for instance, uh, Federer was really forthcoming with a lot of his like feelings over the years in the interviews, and he said getting whipped in like the 08 French Open, like in like six one six love six one on clay, you know, Wimbledon finals like five six weeks later, and he was like, man, that dude just like browbeat me, and I just was shell-shocked even though I was in the final at my home court in Wimbledon. Like, yep. And it was an epic, and it took an epic match on grass yep. for Nadal to beat him, and they had a few epic matches, I think three at Wimbledon. But like you know, like you said, Nadal was so good at home, he got in Federer's head on the road, you know? Um, so I think you know where I'm going with Federer as the Pats, okay? One, he's the oldest. Tom Brady is the oldest. Him and Belichick have been doing this the longest since 2000. Um, if he's healthy, he's in the mix, and he's most likely to succeed if the others forget to bring their A game or their A plus game. Yes, I, I agree, and and he brings like the Patriots. I always joke they bring their A minus game better than anyone anyone they can. Correct. Anyone, anyone does the A minus B plus. A lot of the times they don't lose a stinker, but if someone else brings their A game, the Patriots aren't always on their A game. They're just always like good to really good. Right. Right, exactly. But that, uh, that wins a lot of games. And 95% of the time, that's good enough to win. Correct, correct. And, and, and I think that's exactly right. And I think Federer has the best, most solid tennis all the time, which is why, especially you know, as he was, when he was younger, uh, the dude made a lot of quarterfinals, a lot of semifinals, a lot of finals. And even when he wasn't winning, like on clay against Nadal, was always there. Because most of the guys he was playing, even if they brought their A game, his A-minus game was good enough. Yes. So, and, and the guy, again, the guy's just done it and done it over and over and over again. And uh, while he has been dominant on the grass, 
the fact that he's won on all four surfaces, as has Nadal. But, um, you know, hardcore definitely is somewhere he can win. He won again today. So there you go. Um, all right, man. Any other takes on the, on, on, on the Aussie Open? This is the most I've talked about. It. Most of my inner circle doesn't realize how. I just how, love uh, that we've we've taken we've we've taken uh, what started off as kind of a joke. I think with the Masters or something, and we've made you the the, 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 the country club guy, and it's phenomenal. Kid from Bill Mass, uh, all over the country club scene. Growing up, I loved watching tennis. Yeah, and I probably at the time watched more women's tennis. Yep. And this is like when I was a kid because that was the Steffi Graf, Martina. Navratilova. Yeah, great players, marquee players. You know, and and I so I watched it a ton. I don't know, I was, whatever. I still I still enjoy it. Nice. All right, well, let's switch gears really quickly because you know. Uh, I know that, you know, again, I don't need to talk about this election with you. One, it's over, and two, it's a point of contention for many. But we've talked leading up to the election, even back in 2015, you've, I think you've tended to vote Republican in your life. Yeah. Okay, great. So my point is Andrew Patterson has never voted Republican a day in his life. I've done it sometimes. Uh, I tend to vote Democrat lately. But I feel like I, I want to prove to the listeners, especially those who don't know me personally, that like... I'm not just some blue blue state liberal dude who's going to trash. I've got Republican friends. I've got friends who vote Republican. I've done it myself. I feel like you can bring some balance to the, to the combo a little bit, okay? Um, but I'm going to do it in an outlandish way. But you already told me in the pre-show that you disagreed with me, so let's do it. Okay. And you don't know my theory coming up. I don't, but okay. That's good. <laughs> so we always talk about this wall in Mexico, okay, we want to build and blah, blah, blah. Okay. But at some point, I think if things go really, really, really badly in America, the Canadians are going to build a southern border wall to keep us out. And again, outlandish theory of the week. If you do Canada, here's my only take. Vermont touches Quebec. Massachusetts touches Vermont. I have got a Cape House in Pocasset waiting for you Canadians if you build your wall to include Vermont and Massachusetts. New Hampshire and Maine, you can be like Alaska and not touch the rest of America. Or come with us. I don't care. I'm just saying if a wall gets built, Canada, think about Cape Cod this summer. You've got an invite. Andy Mazin, what are your thoughts on that? I like where your head's at, but we're actually going to join. We're going to bring New Hampshire Maine with us. We're going to join the Canadian Maritimes. We have more in common. Um, we're not going to have to fight about the uh, language, whether it, be, whether it be English or French. Correct. And then when we're when our 18 to 21 year old, 18 to 20 year old cousins and friends and brethren, when they want to go do something outlandish, they can still go to Montreal and put it under the guise of I was in a foreign country. Correct. Correct. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so what you basically just did was you you doubled down on my outlandish theory of becoming a part of uh, Quebec. And, and, and Canada, and you're like, let's go to the Maritimes. Now, do you want to be part of Canada, or do you want to start your own, like, New England, New Brunswick-like country? What, I mean, I'm just asking. Um, I mean, probably New, New England, New Brunswick country, because Quebec wants to be on their own anyways, yep. and then you just get, like, Western Canada on their own. Okay, I like that. I like that. i tell you what else. Let me, let me hit you with this real quick. I, by the way, your theory, I always forget about, like, the. I know that Newfoundland exists. I know that PEI exists. I know that Halifax is a great city. I've been there, home of Dalhousie University. Swim in your pool. Holler. Anyway, you're right. The language is more similar. The, the people who settled there is more similar. None of that matters, but I get it. I love it. I love your theory, Andy. That's why you're the, also the expert on reimagining America and as New England not being a part of it. But 
let me just can, can hit you with one more theory because we California is taking steps for a Cal exit, right? Yeah. Uh, and they have the seventh largest economy in the world, so they got a shot. But what do you think about we got the European Union over in Europe? Obviously, you know, the UK just left the Brexit, but what about if Mexico and Canada start the North American Union and all the states that basically want to leave the U.S. anyway can just – you don't have to really join – be another country. You just kind of join this like economic zone around what would be the smoldering carcass that used to be the middle of America. I guess, what do we do with Puerto Rico? I don't know. Oh, we're keeping Puerto Rico. Okay. You know, it's crazy. Like, we talk about it in jest, but it's crazy that there are people out there that are like, let's get this done now. Yeah. Like, (laughs) people in California are spending, lawyers are billing hours on how to, you know, get out of this agreement we call America, which, again, honestly... A lot of Texans were talking about seceding eight days ago when Barack Obama was president. So, or you know, in October. So don't mess with Texas. Right. I'm just saying, maybe states' rights are the way to go, but maybe states' rights should be like sovereign rights. And like you said, let's join New Brunswick. Let's send our our, our young relatives on bachelor parties to Montreal. We'll all be happier people for it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, it, it's 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 crazy because, you know, it all comes I, – I love, like, the states' rights arguments and things like that. And, oh, this states' rights and that's right. That You know, and, and then you hear the person is the only thing the, the U.S. government is actually allowed to do is, is have a postal service and an army, nothing else. And it's like, okay. T- Times have changed. <laughs> okay, okay. Let, let's, like, I understand you. That can be your jumping off point, but – but they have to do more than that. <laughs> Especially because the post office is basically obsolete right now. If they didn't have the uh, the um, Amazon Prime contract, they would be like bankrupt. They'd be on there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, let's have postal carriers and rain or show or not. All right, man. I love it. I love it. I love your New Brunswick idea. I, to the people of New Brunswick, I forgot that that was an option. I'm just trying to attach to Montreal. And I do like, you know what? Let's bring New Hampshire with us. Live free or die. I used to live there. I spent five years of my life. Five long winters in New Hampshire, and frankly, you know, their libertarian spirit, I enjoy it. They're, they're hardy people. They're hardy people, as Ann Kennedy would say, pioneer stock, and we like that. We like <laughs> that a lot. All right, man, stick around. We'll catch up. But thanks for being on the show. Thanks for your always poignant tennis takes. And um, the next one we're going to hit, not that you'll, you'll be on sooner, but oh, – oh. oh, two things. But go ahead. What do you got? What do you got? We need my Super Bowl prediction. I sure do. That's what I was going to say. I'm, I'm thinking a close one. Like seventy-two to three, Patriots. <laughs> is Dick a blame? Yeah, no, <laughs> Dick is God. Um, no, I think it's. Um, I think this. It's. It's going to end up like thirty-one twenty-one or thirty-one seventeen, Patriots. Oh wow! It's going to be. It's, I think it's going to be a closer game than that, but I, I think the Patriots win. Nice. I also wouldn't be shocked if it's within three or four points because history tells us that. The Pats are going to play Super Bowl within four points. Either. Right, unless it was Super Bowl. The Patriots under the under Bill Belichick tend to settle these things either way by three or four points, and uh, I'm just hoping we win. Yeah, me two, too. Two, by the way, as one self forgets to tell you, I'm going to be in Tampa in about a week and a half. So let's text about that because okay. I want to try to get together with you. I know where that is. Yeah, you live right near there. Uh, and then the final thing, though, is uh, the Masters will be the next lawn and tennis sport, but. Uh, 
I am very excited about your Super Bowl pick, and I hope you're right because I would like to actually not be sweating out the last play of the game for once, especially if we win. I know because I've been I've been saying all season that that special teams is going to cost us. And Let's I hope it costs be, us covering the spread, but not covering the, the victory. I don't want to be prophetic, so no. If, if you're going to be wrong, I want you to be wrong on the Super Bowl special teams nafu and right on us joining the Maritime Provinces of Canada. Yes. <laughs> All right, buddy. Stick around. I'll catch you soon. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and as I believe I have alluded to uh, while we've been talking with Andrew Patterson and Andy Maslin, we've got an actual pundit who actually has lived and experienced one of the things they're punditing on, the punditry, if you will. Uh, Dan O'Brien joins us in Philadelphia. How are you, Dan? Woo! Uh, doing very well. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, as yeah. always. Great, great to have you. And great to see you recently in Philadelphia when I was there for work. It was great to catch up in person. But um, we're back to doing it on, on FaceTime, unofficial sponsor of the week and the freestyle. So uh, the big thing would be that you posted something today uh, related to the executive order passed by the Trump administration, I believe on Friday, barring refugees and really anybody coming in from seven nations, which happen to be predominantly Muslim nations. Um, what you posted is, is important because you actually worked with refugees from nations that happen to have high Islamic Muslim populations. So I figured for once in our life, instead of having, you know, Andy Maslin just came on, he and I never played even high school tennis, and we're trying to talk about the Australian Open, and I think we acquitted <laughs> ourselves nicely. I'd like for the freestyle to eventually, every once in a while, actually get a pundit who's got some life experience on a topic. So wanted to bring you on, talk a little bit about your post on Facebook today and your experiences kind of working with refugees, working even in the Peace Corps with, with, with some of the folks in the Islamic world. But again, just kind of want to hear about it from, from guys actually done something about it and not just... In addition to posting it on Facebook, like so many, you've actually lived it and, and been a part of it. Sure, yeah, happy, happy to help. And there's only there's a very finite amount of subjects that I'm an expert on, and I wouldn't say even I'm an expert on refugee resettlement, but I have had a, a lot of exp- firsthand experience in it. So I'm happy to share that. And oh yeah, it does see especially relevant uh, in these times correct so. absolutely well thanks for doing it so kind of take us through either your post today or kind of your feelings on this whole thing or however you want to start it just rock and roll yeah I, um well I, like I, I mentioned to you earlier and i don't i don't talk about it too much because right now i work for in uh in local government just doing like nothing nothing too too exciting um but yeah in the past in the last 10 years i was a peace corps volunteer in jordan which i taught podcast mm-hmm. way back a, a, a little bit um, when I came back from the Peace Corps, I spoke Arabic, and that led me to a job in refugee resettlement because in 2009-2010, there was an especially large amount of Iraqi refugees yeah. coming over to the United States because of you know obvious reasons. Um, and so I, I had the Arabic language skills. I could work with them. So, um, so just seeing all this talk about refugee resettlement and the security issue and the dangers of it and should we, shouldn't we, uh, and, and allowing Christians versus Muslims and what have you. Um, it stirred up a lot of feelings, a lot of memories, and made me uh, uh, remember a lot of the work that I did. And, yeah. uh, and one particular case, that I, like, like you said, I, I mentioned it on Facebook today, um, and I, what I wanted to do is the reason I posted is – because a lot of people talk about it as like an abstract issue about uh, you know refugees and they are 
you know, should they come here? They're from some foreign country. We can't really, I can't relate to Islam. I can't relate to somebody coming from Iraq or Syria or wherever. Um, and when people would have these conversations, I would always take it. It wouldn't be abstract to me. It would be very. You've done it. You've literally done it. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would have a, like a human face to it. Um, and oftentimes, you know, it was a really difficult job, like resettling specifically Iraqis, which is not even the case now. Now, mostly it's Syrians and, and uh, actually, it's Congolese and Syrians are the two biggest groups that are being resettled in the U.S. Congolese, right that's, that's obviously the Congo. Well, I, right. Uh, and that's not a predominantly Muslim nation, right? Because that's sub-Saharan Africa? No, it's not. It's not. It's, um, and I, and they, they had not been resettling Congolese when I was working okay, so there. Okay, so, but, but like you're saying, right, okay, right now it's more Syrian. Yeah, I don't Congolese. know the ins and outs of the, the situation in the Congo. I know it, I know it ain't good, but yeah, um, I can't really speak with any authority there. Okay. But, my my experience was with the the Iraqis, um, and the one I, uh, there. Unfortunately, I do have half a dozen stories that are similar to this. That I, you know, but the one that stands out um, is this one fellow who I had actually resettled his brothers. They had come over here. Yep. They bro- brothers um, and they had kids. He had been resettled right before I started there. This guy uh, Omar, I can say his first name. Um, and he didn't speak a lick of English, was one of the nicest guys I've ever met. And I, because I had the Arabic language skills, there was another guy who was an, uh, an Iraqi case manager there. But because he was Iraqi, he had much better language skills than I did. Yeah. But because he, because he was an Iraqi, he came with certain baggage. So some of the, the refugees didn't necessarily trust him. Not for good reasons. You know, It was just because there was hangups there. So they trusted an American more than him, which was weird to me. Right. Even though I, I spoke like third grade or, uh, Iraqi <laughs> or third grade Arabic. I guess uh, it's tough for you to get one over on him, at least in Arabic, if you can't even find the words, maybe. I don't know. And obviously- yeah, exactly. They, they, exactly. And the, the other guy was fantastic, the other case manager. But, um, you know, so I, I ended up doing a lot of translation for this guy. And we would sit down and tell the story. So I got to know him a little bit. Yep. And his story was one, he was a refugee. Uh, he was in Iraq in the late twenty, you know, two thousand nine or so, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. There's a lot of these militia militias or Sunni militias. That's where the whole thing was headed at the time. He got kidnapped one day um, out of nowhere, and his he had a wife and two kids. Yep, and he just disappeared, and he was gone for months, and they thought he was dead. Uh, there was, you know, they do ransom things, and it wasn't an odd occurrence to be kidnapped. Uh, what happened, the reason I found out about him is because he was basically in the basement of a prison in Iraq, hundreds of miles from where he was kidnapped from, and he was found basically sitting in a tub, uh, bleeding and about to die. Oof. And a, a Red Cross uh, uh, observation group who would like go to monitor all these prisons went through, and they went through almost the entire prison, and then at the end, they that, heard him. Uh-huh. They heard him screaming. And so they went down into the basement. They found him, and they were able to get him out of the prison. They would, you know, take him out because he was about to die, and there was no legitimate reason for him to be there. Um, he was able to get resettled over in the United States, and he had a ton of medical issues, both dental, dental issues because they pulled out most of his teeth Oof, man. while they were torturing him. Yeah, and uh, straight out of, like, all the, the books we read and some of the movies we see, like American Sniper and stuff, 
they used a power drill on him. Wow, so that's, real, that's real, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was for real. Um, so I'm sitting there and I'm translating his story, and it's tough. But uh, the more difficult part of the whole situation was he, after he was kidnapped, his wife and children, they left on a, and they, they escaped from Iraq. Yep. Uh, and went to another country and were hiding out there. And he hadn't seen them in years. And they they were having, they had found out that he was alive and he was in the States, but mm-hmm. the paperwork of getting them from here to there and getting them together was just insane. Right. So we, this guy for two years, I translated his story a little bit and worked with him a bit. There was a ton of other people that worked with him too. It wasn't just me. Um, he worked at a, a Popeye's chicken mm-hmm. as chef, and he worked there eight hours a day as much as he could, six days a week or more, always offered, offered to do more hours, making seven twenty-five an hour. Yeah. Um, because he was trying to save up money in the hope that he could bring his family over. And after work or before work, he would come down to our office and we'd, he would work on paperwork, he would work on signing things, he would work on calling certain people to try to further the process of getting his family over here. And there was a million different false starts where he thought that Oh, we're there. We got it. We got it. And it would fall through for, for dipl- diplomatic reasons, for dumb bureaucratic reasons. Uh, and it got really frustrating. But he was always, despite you know going through worse things than you and I can ever imagine, he was always relatively upbeat and you know, believed in you know, the process, so to speak. Um, so I left the job. Uh, and just a couple weeks after I left the job and, and went to another job, I found out because I kept I kept tabs with everybody. Yeah. I found out that his his family was coming over, uh, and they came over, and they're now living together. Um, and he's working, and she's working, and the, their kids are going to school. And you know, it might not be the greatest situation, but it's one where nobody's going to get kidnapped. Their kids are going to school, and they're. You know, it's kind of it's the uh, the modern day American dream, quite honestly. Right. It's like they're escaping persecution and they're coming here to make a better life for their family. Um, and the the mom and dad, their life might not be the greatest thing in the world, but there's hope for the kids to like to move on and have have a good life here in this country. Right. Go uh, to you know go to high school, maybe go to college, hopefully get get, get good jobs or at least have a shot at it. Versus, it sounds like you know even if it's 2008 or nine or ten Iraq. Maybe getting killed or kidnapped or yeah. tortured or all of the above. Exactly, um, and not, yeah. not to get too not to get too into the weeds in the situation. But one of the reasons that he was kidnapped originally was uh, back. I guess it was in the early nineties. Saddam Hussein had offered, as like a gesture of goodwill, he'd offered Palestinians uh, to come over to Iraq and get you know get citizenship and stuff so there's a, a small population there's like 30,000 Palestinians that lived in, in Iraq okay and he, and he was one of them um, and you know being a minority group in a war zone puts you at risk and puts right. you and that's basically what happened so um, man yeah so he the, yeah I always harken back to him and I think when I, they're talking about refugees and you say like oh should we let them in should we not let them in um, it it always makes me think that that situation was one of the um, most one of the most proud things I've ever been involved in was helping him get his family get reunited here because I saw how hard he worked how grateful he was for the opportunity um, and 
if that's not what our country's about, then, you know, I don't know what, what the heck we're doing here. Correct. Um, Correct. So, and and the, the sad thing is, is, is you know, that, that's, a, that's a tragic story with a pretty happy ending. But there is, you know, just me personally in my very limited experience working in refugee settlement, resettlement for a couple of years, I could tell you five other stories of just like awful things that happen to people that because they were refugees and were able to get resettled in the United States, um, it gave them like a second chance. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why I was really disappointed. Like some of the, some of the discussions right now are talking about like, Oh, they, they, Trump did this wrong. He should have just done it long term or he shouldn't have, he should allow the people with green cards and, or he should, you know, there's, it's talking about the process, not necessarily the actual effect of people. And, a lot of times, the the plight of the refugees get get uh, get lost right. in the conversation, and it's easy to forget them because, quite honestly, there's nothing. They're not they're not voters. They're not going to be voters for at least five years. They can't get citizenship for at least five years. Right. So it, it's easy to discard them. But I, I was thinking that uh, I think what I grew up knowing about, you know, just morally, uh, but also what I grew up knowing civically about our government that if we can't uh, extend an olive branch or extend a helping hand to people who are the most vulnerable to us or who are the most vulnerable in the world, then, you know, then maybe we're not doing the correct thing. Correct. Yeah, I mean, if you look at somebody made kind of paraphrase this today that I talked to, but basically we have this thing in our country where if, you know, you're innocent until you're proven guilty, right, and you deserve a fair trial and – you know, if, if we put away, you know, if, if one innocent person gets gets exonerated at the expense of 99 people getting off for something they did do, there are a lot of people who say it's worth it because the person who deserved due process and liberty got it. And I think if you go to this this other piece where people say, well, you know, if we let in people, regardless of where they're from – you know, that aren't from here, they could do bad things to us. And I, I'm not a believer in that, but whatever. My point is, somebody wrote today, you know, if if, 90, if 100 people get in here and 99 of them happen to be terrorists and one of them escapes the things that you just described to us, Dan, then that's liberty working because, like, this is hard. There's a responsibility to this. And and you can't just say, well, because the first of all, the not out of those hundred people, ninety nine are going to have a better life, and maybe one is going to be malicious, but it's going to be like one percent of one percent that's going to potentially be malicious, maybe, but probably not. So again, we're we're putting that's I've already made my point, but that's it's about it's about like you said, it's morally about doing the right thing for the person who needs it most, not worrying about where they're from or what bad could come from it. You know, that's the responsibility that we have. I agree, and and I. I will. I'll go even further and just say that um, that of a, for the refugees that have come over to the United States, um, they're probably pose the least threat of any group, whether it be of any group that comes over. You know, it takes eighteen to twenty-four months of interviews and background checks, and living in a refugee camp most of the time. Yeah. Uh, before they can come over here, um, and when they come over here. They are from day one. I, I've, I've picked up hundreds of people at the airport, and they're holding their their all their their worldly possessions. You know, you might have three generations of a family coming over together with sharing one bag. Wow! Uh, um, they come over with with nothing, 
And it's, I, I used to explain to them in the beginning, like, you know, this is going to be difficult, but you're doing it for your kids. So they have a shot and, you know, so they're safe. Uh, and they're, they end up being some of the most patriotic people I've ever seen. And it's quite, you know what, you and I, and probably a lot of the listeners, we all have a, a similar backstory. I can tell you right now that a good deal of my relatives coming over from Ireland a hundred, 105 years ago, uh, would not have cleared some of that vetting and we're not coming through with, with clean records, certainly. Correct. Um, and life so, wasn't, so, I mean, life wasn't easy for a lot of the people who got here and, and it, it's, not, it's never easy for the first wave, but that doesn't mean you stop letting waves come in, right? Uh, right. It's, it, it, we, and the, the, the United States have had, has had waves in the last couple of decades, and it was Vietnamese, it was Cambodian, it was Russian, it was Afghani. Um, and guess what, man? That's what our country's all about. It, it just it, We're just, you know, you got to lend a helping hand to people. I mean, we don't always do the right thing, certainly. I'm never going to say that, but if uh, if there is a war zone and there are some good people in there that we can save, that we can help, yeah. then by all means, we should at least try. That and we shouldn't shut down the program. We should just try. Right, exactly. I guess well said. Well, you know, tough for us to sojourn anywhere besides uh, an outro, just because of the fact that that's very serious <laughs> nature. But, but again, I, I mean, I think I think it's, it's important that when people have experience, and, and it's, it's certainly the news of the day. Uh, if the freestyle can, can, can talk about it a little bit, then we, we should do that. And, you know, if, if you, the listener were in for the, the hot Australian open takes, you're welcome. And if you were in for this, you're welcome. And if you were in for the UFC on Fox at the beginning of the show, you're welcome, but maybe you'll enjoy the mashup. Um, but Dan, thanks a lot. Stick around for a minute. We'll catch up. But, uh, ladies and gentlemen, just because the outro is kind of techno inspired does not mean that this wasn't a serious piece at the end. So... Check us out on filibusterfreestyle.com and my apologies for the outro song. <laughs> you should end with the MASH theme song. The MASH theme song? Oh, man. I'll see if I can find it. I'll probably get sued by SoundCloud. All right, Dan, stick around for a second. We'll catch you soon. All right, take care. Filibuster Freestyle. That's the end of the podcast, folks. Follow us on Facebook and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks. This is the end.